Welcome back to You Ask For It. Uh, we are going to be in, uh, dealing with a question today that I'm sure many people have asked in the last years. We've seen two different wars pop up. That is the war in Ukraine and now this war between Israel and Gaza. And it's this question, why does God allow war? It's a big question, isn't it? Well, let's talk about this. Why does God allow war? Let's first just say this from the very beginning. Our hearts break when we see the devastation of war. It is a hard thing to see. You know, we've been able to, you know, today, the day we live in, every single day, you can wake up really every moment of the day and you can get an update about what is happening right now. between Pictures of what's happening. Israel and Palestine. I mean, you can see everything. Did you know that that wasn't fully a reality until the Vietnam War? Before that, in World War II, you could get some information, but the Vietnam War really changed everything. In fact, the very idea that you could see pictures is what some believe caused some people to be so much against that war. Wouldn't you you say that, Pastor Steve? It's hard. When you see what goes on in war, it is a difficult thing to see. And what we know about war is that it always brings devastating consequences. For instance, did you know that this year, um, in this pa- in the past year, conflict deaths are higher than it's ever been inside of this century? So since the year 2000, 238,000 people have been killed in conflicts in the last year. That is the war in Ukraine, this war between Gaza and Israel and, and everywhere else. And those the number of deaths, they actually doubled in 2002 compared to the previous year. 22 from 2000. I'm sorry, 2022 compared to 2021. And what we also see, it affects the economy that... Um, in that year, of, in 2023, we've seen that there's been a 13% loss of global GDP because of war. Well, for instance, Israel right now, it, its economy is devastated. There's, there's nothing they can do. They're, they've drafted into the army all those high-tech people that were making their nation such cutting-edge Silicon Valley for the, for the world. Well, we talk about devastation. Let me, let me share with you some of the ways that we're seeing it now. Gal Gadot, who played Wonder Woman, and she's also been in a lot of other movies, she's an Israeli actress. And she's been so burdened that people are saying that the atrocities did not occur. This is what Hamas did. This is how evil this was. They were wearing the same kind of cameras that policemen put on their vests, and they were recording the horrible things they were doing. Israel was able to take that off the air. And so what Gal Gadot is doing, she has got the actual scenes of horrors, and she's turned it into a movie, and she's showing it in movie theaters. Because people are saying, no babies were hurt, no women were raped. You actually see it. In fact, what they're saying is that people eventually just turn their head because they can't handle it. So what was done to Israel was horrible. But I've got a picture here of what's happened to Gaza City. I hope I've got a picture here. here. Yes, back here. Okay, good. There's a picture there of what happened. That's Gaza City right now. Um, I am reading some encouraging things that Hamas is coming toward the end of its rope there. But this is what's going to happen. And by the way, I read something yesterday that the citizens of Gaza, the Strip, are turning against Hamas. Some of the Hamas leaders felt privileged to go and get the supplies that were being rationed out, and they were Rocks were thrown at them. They were beaten. People were standing up saying, you did this. But this is one of the things that happens when you have war. It just, it just, there's nothing but destruction left in its wake. And since we talked about Ukraine and Russia, the next picture is of, if you'll show the next picture, is of Mariupol. 
that was a very prosperous city on the southern part of Ukraine, uh, on the Black Sea. And this is what's left. Russia conquered it, but this is what they got when it was all over. There's nothing left. It's devastating. But beyond those pictures, there's the deaths. There are the what we used to call in World War II the Gold Star families. Do you, some of you will have people have had people tell you that when somebody lost a child, they put a gold star on their houses. It's such a grief that's happening with people who've lost their loved ones fighting in these battles. And then you have people disabled for life. That's it's not just how many die, but how many are disabled. And then there's also something very real, and that's the PTSD that so many suffer when they go into battle. So war is devastating. And nobody, nobody wants war to occur, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that people don't want. In fact, I think an applicable, applicable prayer today that we could pray when we see what's going on in Israel and Jerusalem is Psalm 122.6. It says, pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. Yeah, nobody wants to see this happen. We want to pray for the well-being. And to help you understand what's even going on in Israel, um, Dave just had a conversation with um, Samir, who is the leader of Quest Travel that we do our trips to Israel with two days ago. Was that yesterday or two days ago? Two days ago. And it's, it's rough right now. Um, he's been honest about what's going on there. His sister and her, and her son, they lead the stateside part of Quest Travel. And they said it's been, it's been terrible. There is nobody, like you said, that there's nobody at the hotels anymore. You can't contact them. Well, and, and, and that, actually they're in Jerusalem and they're spending yes. the nights in the bomb shelters. Yes. And he said on top of that, cities like Bethlehem that used to be majorly Christian cities are no longer now really controlled by Christians. So, so now it's not even safe to go to the cities of Bethlehem right now. There's this been this uprising of right now, this cry in the West Bank of people saying from the river to the sea, like we want to control, we control it all. This means places like the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount, all of these places are just not safe to go to anymore. And Samir even said this to us. He says, he doesn't even know when it's going to be safe again. These people, they don't want this to occur. He says it is destroying their economy right now in Israel because so much of it is built upon tourism. It is hard. Now, what are we called to do when this happens? We are called to pray for peace, right? Mm-hmm. To pray for the government, to pray for peace. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Tim- Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to knowledge, come to the knowledge of truth. So it makes a connection here. We pray for peace. Why? So that everyone would be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. What is one reason we pray for peace in the end of war? It's because we know that the gospel spreads in a greater way when it's able to be spread in a time of peace rather than right. in war zones or, or in persecution. But I got to tell you this, we're to pray for peace, but can I tell you what to expect? A whole bunch of war. Because that's what Jesus said would happen in the last days. In Matthew, it says this in chapter 24, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labors, labor pains. So what we're seeing here is that we're predicted the future of the world is not peace. The future of the world is wars until Christ comes, like birth pangs getting stronger. 
But one of the things that's interesting to me is when you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, one of the things that Paul says about just before the horrors that are unveiled in Revelation, that's called the day of the Lord. He said that there'll be the word on the street will be peace. Listen to this. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. I think what's going to happen in this unstable world is that world ruler that's predicted in 2 Thessalonians 2 will rise up and will start saying, I'll take care of this. I'll bring in peace. And when everybody is saying, peace has come, we've got the right leader, then you have the horrors of revelations unfolded upon the world. Well, let's ask this question now. Where does war come from? We've got a couple of um, just answers for you today. First of all, some wars are started by demonic forces. I think we can say this. When we've seen all that's happened in with, with Hamas in this war in Gaza, it is clear that it started with demonic forces. I mean, when you see the, the murder of babies, the, just the, the, the rape, all these things, when you see that they've built their bases underneath hospitals, yeah. so, you know, I mean, that, I think it's clear. It, it makes sense then that you can compare that with John 10.10 10, where it says the thief has come to still kill and destroy. Or how about John 8 verse 44? It says you are, a, you are of your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. You know, something that's interesting that kind of ties us together is that the Greek word for sorcery is actually the word pharmakia. It's where we actually get the word pharmacy. And here's, here's how you can see that you can say the demonic forces were present in this is that did you know that the leaders of Hamas were giving their soldiers who went out, who went and did those attacks, they were giving them this form of methamphetamine called Captagon. They call the drug um, Abu Alel Halalain. And what it is, is this drug literally causes feelings of rage, of irritability and impatience. It literally causes you not to be in your right mind anymore to get you, cause you to be controlled by something. This this was what was given to them as they went in. And what's happened as we see is this demonic force that wants to still kill and destroy, it stirs up hatred. And the drugs open up souls yeah. to, to demons. Yes, yes. And, it, and, and so you have this hatred that gets stirred up. And I think when you see this hatred that gets stirred up and this continual war that's present between different peoples, it is clear in that way that there's truth that the devil who wants to still kill and destroy is present in the middle of it. For instance, some of you probably remember in the 90s, the Hutsus and the Tutsis, who one group killed the other, and then that group got power, and then they went back and killed all the other ones. I mean, what do you say? Millions who were killed in Rwanda by a machete, of all things. Yeah. I mean, just proof of this. How about the Bosnians and the Serbs in Eastern Europe? You saw this back and forth. And then today, between the Jews and the Arabs, this constant war going back and forth. Hmm. Now, second of all, where did wars come from? Many wars are the result of the selfish desires of evil leaders. I think there's a great passage on this in James 4. It says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covenant and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. So he says it's these, this desire for more. And, and I, when I look at what Putin did when he came into Ukraine simply because he wants to take over once again what they had in the old Soviet Union. That is just simply a desire to, to have more. It was selfish desire that caused that. Now, one thing we want to make clear, the title of this message is, Why Does God Allow War? Uh, 
I do not believe God causes wars. I believe God allows war. I think that's a very big distinction because in James, excuse me, James 1, this is what it says. No one can say I was tempted by God because God is so far beyond temptation that if we're tempted, it comes from our own evil desires. So I don't, I believe that God may allow war to happen, but God does not cause wars. He didn't cause the massacre of Hamas upon the Jews. That was evil men did that. Satanic influence did that. Now, on the other side of that, there are some wars that are just wars. Mm, This was introduced to us by Aristotle um, in a book that he wrote. And then Augustine really began to bring about this phrase in a work called The City of God. And here is how they describe this idea of a just war. It is the proper object of practicing military training. um, And it's not in order that men may enslave those who do not deserve slavery, but in order that first they may themselves avoid becoming slaves to others. So here's what they would say is that just wars are made right to basically, as we'll see in a second, rid the world of evil, right? Mm. So first of all, what you see with a just war is it demands two reasons. First, the reason is to eradicate evil. Look at Romans chapter 13. It says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to, do, to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do, do what is good and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrongs wrong. You see, evil is often only stopped when a government steps in and stands for justice and a military steps in and stands for that. Think about this. Imagine what would have happened in Europe, maybe even here, if Hitler would not have been stopped. If we would have just said, you know what? He's going to be okay. Just let him do his thing. It would have been terrible. Oh. Uh, and I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you probably know his name. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor, a theologian, and Bonhoeffer from Germany went back from New York to Germany to, Germany to fight against the Nazi regime to build the church up underground. And you might not know this, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually was a part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. A preacher. Yes. <laughs> Think about that. And he almost succeeded in it. And all of this because he saw if, if we are not a part of helping eradicate evil, then evil is just going to spread. So don't be naive. Now, a lot of folks say, well, let's just hold our hands and say kumbaya and Hamas will just be so much more friendly. And, and they'll just, they'll just, we'll just all live under the peace flag or Palestinian flag. Something as evil as Hamas will only be stopped by force. And it says the government is God's tool to wield the sword against evil. And so there are times when a war is a just war, when it is done to defend the innocent, when it's done to stop evil. And so that's the first characteristic of a just war. Um, can I chase a couple of rabbits here? Uh, Michael Sattler was one of the leaders of the Anabaptists. Today they're called Mennonites or Amish. That's the two groups that are the remnants of them. And they're pacifists. When he was burned at the stake, I have the list of charges in my notebook. And one of the charges were because the the Mennonites were, they were um, pacifists. He had said, I will not fight against the Muslims if they attack us. That was a real threat. 
That was the 1500s. See, when the Muslims took North Africa, crossed over the little channel and went into Spain, they took Spain all the way to the mountains. And the only thing that separated Spain and the Muslims from Europe was the Pyrenees. And they crossed there, and a French Christian king named Charles Martel fought them in 733 and stopped them. And so the Muslims would have taken over Europe. Can you imagine what Europe would have been like now if the Muslims had not been opposed by the king of France and a Christian army? Well, they tried again coming from the east to the west in 1683. It was that, that recent of a time when 100,000 Turks marched all the way to Vienna to, to go in and say, we're going to conquer Vienna, then we're going to take Europe. And they could have done it. But they were stopped by a Polish king and his army who showed up just in time. Jan Sobieski came running down a hill with his, with his troops, and they defeated the Muslims. But that stopped them. So, folks, sometimes you have to pick up the sword because the consequences of not standing against that would be horrible. Now, I'm going to go one more rabbit here before we go any further. A lot of times people say, well, I recoil at what I read in the Bible when the Bible told the Israelites to go in and conquer the Canaanites. But the, the war against the Canaanites fits the just war qualifications. And I'll explain why. It must be done to eradicate evil. That's the first quali qualification. Well, in Genesis 15, God is showing Abraham what's to come. He says, now I'm going to give you all this land. Isn't it great? This will all be yours but your descendants will have to be slaves for 400 years before they can get it because the people who live here now, their cup of iniquity is not yet full. So they had to wait hundreds of years. And why were they waiting? Because if they were to go in and conquer them at that point, their evil had not reached such to such a level that they deserved to be conquered. Uh, God waited till they became a cancer that had to be removed. So just war, first of all, has to have a just reason. And then the second thing that's a qualification of a just war, a just war must be done in such a way that it tries to protect the innocent. Look at the difference between what Germany did and what Japan did in World War II. Uh, I tried to read Unbroken. Uh, that was the story of Louis Zamperini, who was in a Japanese POW camp. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I've got a pretty tough stomach, but I, I was with him through going to the Olympics. I was with him floating in the boat. And then he got captured by the Japanese and put in a Japanese POW camp. But as I kept reading horror after horror that was done to those POWs, I finally said, I'm skipping to when he gets rescued. <laughs> I just couldn't keep reading it. It was just because it was so inhumane the way the Japanese treated. The Koreans for years could not forgive the Japanese for what they did when they conquered them during World War II. Same thing was true with the Germans. You look and see what they did in France in the occupied areas or what they did to the Jews. And so a just war, you compare that with Americans. Um, when I was in Opelika, I found out that they had a German POW camp in Opelika, Alabama. So Germans that were captured in Europe were put on a boat and sent to Opelika, Alabama. Uh, when the war was over, a great number of the Germans said, can we stay? <laughs> we like these folks. So we were so much more human in the way we handled those that, we, that were under our control compared to what the other... So just war must have a just reason for going into war, and that is to stop evil. It must also be done in, in a just way where you protect the innocent. 
Well, let's finish up here with this last, this, this last thought at the very end. What we see from the Bible is that the Bible is not anti-war or anti-military members. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember. You see, when you read the Bible, what you see is that it was an amazing number of Roman soldiers who are pictured in a positive light in the New Testament. For instance, in Matthew chapter 8, an incredible story. Let me read it for you, verses 5 through 10. It says, when he, being Jesus, entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. He said to him, am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. And I say to this one, go, and he goes into another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. Not only that, but when you read the um, the book of Acts, what you find is the very first um, convert, Gentile convert, was a centurion, the first one to come in faith in Christ. So here's why we say this. This past Sunday, we celebrated and recognized our veterans, those who have fought for our freedom so that we can still worship freely here today, that have helped defend our country. I think that's a good thing to do because of what we see here clear in the scriptures. So... With that being said, let me uh, finish up today. I know it's been a longer podcast, but I hope it's one that's helpful for you as you're navigating some of these hard questions. Um, we'll be with you in a couple of weeks. We got two weeks off because of Thanksgiving and some other things, um, but we'll be with you again in December. And we'll talk to you then.